0: Wings and Beer, almost as good as podcasts. That's why Chicago Summer Wing Fest wants to give listeners a free t-shirt when they buy tickets with the offer code podcast, available at wingfest.net. That's w i n g f e s t.net. Dynasty Podcast is proud to present PODCLASS, a series of conversations recorded at a college, university, or other academic or industry settings. My name is Haima Black. I host this podcast at dynastypodcast.com. Today, talking with Britt Julius and Lenny Gilmore in a live interview recorded in the Self-Management and Freelancing class I teach at Columbia College, Chicago. Here's how that sounds. I'm a Black here for Dynasty Podcast at Columbia College, Chicago. I am teaching my Self-Management and Freelancing class here, and I am joined in class today um, on this kind of nasty, cold November day by Britt Julius and Lenny Gilmore, Chicago Freelance Media superstar extraordinaire. Thank you guys for coming.
1: Thank you. Oh, thank yeah. You.
0: <laughs> uh, how are you guys doing?
2: Uh, good. Yeah. A little wet. A <laughs> little wet. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Overwhelmed.
0: Overwhelmed? No. Yeah. You're gonna You're gonna kill it.
1: Well, I had a um, I had an assignment from an editor, um, and he gave me the assignment at nine today. Oh. And um, he was like, "Can you have it to me by like 12? So, um, so that's oh what God. I had to do this morning. Yeah.
0: Okay. We didn't get in the way of that, did we? No. Okay, no. Good. It's
1: good. Good. getting old, like
0: one now. So Awesome. You guys are both like returning champions of Dynasty Podcast too. I've had each of you on I think twice. twice. Yeah. yeah. But Lenny, we've we've done it like down at South by Southwest a couple times. Brett, yeah, I, I, had like, a... I think this is my third one, I think. Isn't yeah. It? Yeah. Like at a certain point you get like a mug or like a, a robe
2: or something I'm, like when I'm SNL waiting. hosts I'm return. Waiting. Yeah. You keep it's in the mail, I don't
0: know. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So we have two awesome guest speakers today in my class um, where we are recording this. I'm gonna run down an abbreviated version of their bios, only abbreviated because both of them have such a body of work that if we ran through the whole thing, that would be the entire discussion. Britt Julius is a writer and essayist from Chicago, a contributor at outlets like Vice and Noisy, The Guardian, Chicago Tribune, New York Times, Pitchfork, Fader, Complex Enemy, just every single place that has ever published writing. Brit Julius has been published there. In 2002, Chicago Reader named her the best local writer. 2012. Right. Right. In 2002, she was killing the game at OPRF. In 2012, Chicago Reader named her the best local writer who excels at media, and this year, just really recently, BuzzFeed named her an aspiring role model for 20-somethings, which is awesome. Yeah. (laughs) uh lenny gilmore is a photojournalist and college-based fine artist he is currently photo editor and staff photojournalist for tribune publishing's red eye in chicago uh, which i'm sure just so many of us read every day um you see it out like on the stands and online um he started there as a freelancer. Started as a freelancer at Red Eye. Uh, his free time is devoted to pursuing fine art projects, freelance collaborations, and dancing to soul classics. Both very important. Uh, so really excited to have you guys here. And since this is a freelancing and self-management class, we're going to cover a lot of topics that relate to you know those two kind of fields. And you guys are experts at that um, with all your experience. So you know, let's kind of share how each of you got it, got started, got it started. Good thing i speak got started in the creative arts you know you know in your chosen professions of writing and photography
2: respectfully like how did that start how were you able to break into those fields um well i started in high school actually i um (laughs) i started uh so i kind of learned photography by taking portraits of bands and uh there was a local newspaper at the time that uh you know, I'd shoot these bands, and the bands would never, like, have the photos anywhere or keep them anywhere. So I'd always get a call from these editors being like, oh, can you send this photo? Because they don't know where it is. So I kind of, that's how I kind of started developing a Are you telling me that artists
0: are irresponsible?
2: Uh, <laughs> I, like, have a hard time believing that. Uh, indie rock artists from the early 2000s were very irresponsible, yeah. Really um, hard
0: to, to wrap my head around that, yeah.
2: And, yeah, I just kind of went from there. And, uh, honestly, some of those early connections have just kind of stayed with me my entire career. Um, It actually, one of the connections I made when I was in high school led me eventually getting my job at Red Eye or starting freelancing there, at least.
1: Nice. Um, Yeah, I guess, well, I started writing um, in high school. I was a a dancer for, like, 10 years and kind of, like semi-professional, like growing up in the city. And uh, I started to hate it, and I really liked writing. And so I kind of pursued that, and I uh, was on the school's newspaper staff. Um, but it wasn't until college, really, that I started freelancing. Um, I had seven internships throughout college, and within like my, like my the year after I graduated college, um, at uh, the Tribune, um, at Time Out Chicago, at uh, this old women's music magazine called Venus, which is no longer around. Um, Alarm Press, Museum of Contemporary Art, all those kind of places, kind of just soaking it all in. Um, I was an English major, um, then I minored in philosophy and rhetoric, so I kind of always knew that I wanted to be a writer, Um, and I uh, am the sort of person who, like, not like double down, but like triple down, you know, on things, so I was like, let me just get, like, as best as I can at it. Um, And I started freelancing when I was in... um, college just from, like, doing uh, those internships um, and blogging. I've had a blog since I was, like, 12 years old, um, and that also helped me sort of uh, um, gain contacts um, with people outside of Chicago, because um, despite all these internships I had in Chicago, it was it, I didn't really start breaking into the Chicago media field until like two or three years ago when at the same point I was you know in college or just out of college and I was writing for like you know European publications it's just um, so uh, that's kind of how it started for me and just sort of building uh, building up those contacts and always keeping uh, my work out there and um, really blogging for me was the best thing that I that I could have done in terms of um, getting recognition and building, um, more clips and, and finding new editors.
0: Yeah, and I mean that's such a great point, what you're talking about of, of keeping yourself out there. Like how important is that? And what does that really mean? Because like I, all of all of us know you have to always be putting things out. You know, people have such a short attention span now, and that goes for media people too. If you're not putting things out, they kind of forget about you or, or any, you know, professional kind of area, right?
1: I would definitely say so. Um, you have to... I don't think it was really like a conscious decision for me to be like I'm putting myself out there constantly. What was important for me is like when I created a blog, I wanted it to be the sort of magazine that I wasn't finding in in terms of my internships or reading um, uh, on newsstands or blogs that I was seeing. And so I was, fo- you know, as I was discovering music and different parts of culture, I was writing about it, and I was um, writing about it in a way that people were really drawn to. So I was, as I was discovering, you know, like late 70s New York mutant disco it was sort of at the same time that um, you know there was this sort of a a dance punk revival in New York as well and so people were sort of attracted to to that kind of writing and it also allowed me to sort of just learn how to be a better writer because in English classes you know I'm discussing um, Dickens and you know Gertrude Stein I'm not discussing how to write a future story um and and in that sense then I'm always sort of just practicing and people are seeing me practice and then they want me to sort of explore those ideas that I just thought was a one-off blog post you know in a paid story for a magazine or publication
2: yeah I uh same thing I I I think just as much practice as you can do and whether that practice is you know uh a freelance assignment or a personal project I, it's it is important to always be making something always be working on something i think personally i sort of think we're entering a point where it's not always about just like putting as much as you can out there i think maybe a couple of years ago i felt more that i had to constantly be like popping something up up every single day but now we everybody's making things all the time so i find myself pacing myself a little bit differently which is i think is important Kind of focusing on like making a bigger, better project versus putting something out every single hour. I I find myself wanting to, you know, still maybe have something to put up every other day or so, but um, trying to find more time for those long term projects where it's like, oh, this might not be done for four months, but that four month project will launch my career in like a new direction. Um, If you're always thinking short term, it's kind of hard to branch out in serious ways and kind of show people that, yeah, you know me for taking these portraits maybe, but maybe I can also uh, make this video for you or, you know, it's always important to look for new opportunities and kind of uh, change it up a little bit.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, Lenny, earlier this year, and we spoke about this at South by Southwest, the industry conference in uh, Austin, Texas, you know, you and the team from Red Eye, Ernest Wilkins, and, and... couple other people you guys were at South by Southwest you were creating a mini documentary about a Chicago artist named St. Millie you know a lot of talent a lot of media goes to South by Southwest and maybe they'll write some articles about it maybe like I do a lot of interviews with the podcast and you guys did something totally different for Red Eye you created this like long form documentary feature from the festival centered around one artist and I, I thought it was a really creative interesting unique piece of
2: content that maybe people would not have expected from you or from Red Eye you know. Uh, Right. Yeah. You know, I've, uh, that was a fun project and it was my way of, uh, I'm trying to teach like an established medium, like new tricks, uh, you know, working for a newspaper, you know, I was talking about how, um, I've been trying to think of long-term projects for myself. Well, you know, a newspaper is very much thinking, you know, 24 hours ahead usually to the next day's issue. And while that's important, I, I felt like for the industry, it's, important for us to start thinking like, oh, we need to, you know, stay on top of all the daily news, but we also need to be like, people want something maybe more nutritious or something they can like stick with for a while. And I think, um, if you watch, listen to podcasts, like, you know, that serial podcast is really like taking fire. And I, I saw that coming a long way away. I'm like, of course that's successful. Like this is giving something people new where they can like stick with it and really delve into the story, uh, with the person who's making it. And it's really got that, like, Personal angle, where you feel like you're sitting there in the car next to them as they're recording it. Which those I love. are those are the best, uh, to me,
0: recordings. I listen to a lot of Kevin Smith's podcasts, his podcasts, and legitimately, there've been times where I've caught myself telling people, "I'm like, yeah, Kevin Smith was telling me the, about." No, I heard Kevin Smith talking about, but in my head, it's like I listen to so many of them that, like, for a split second, I'll just be like, "Yeah, he was telling me about this thing," and that to me is the mark of like a good piece of content where you feel like it is speaking directly to you you know, kind of looking again at, again, like the beginning of your careers, what was the hardest part of getting started? Because so many of the the students in this class are going to be graduating and maybe like, you know, next year, the year after, in the near future, you know, and even before they graduate, you know, maybe they're working on projects, they're looking to kind of like branch out into the next step. So what's the hardest part of getting started or what was it for you guys and how were you able to overcome those obstacles?
1: Um, Getting people to take me seriously, I um I think in terms of I mean I do all different types of writing right so I do like primarily I do like a, a lot of music writing so there's not a lot of women in music writing period there never will be it is frustrating um and so you're constantly you'll sort of like get the attention of a lot of sort of men in the in the industry who are like Oh, it's, you know, it's cute that you know this. And, and I'm sort of like, no, I'm sorry. I grew How adorable. up. You have an opinion. Right? Like I've gotten so many guys who just sort of discovered like dance music two years ago who were like, Oh, you listen to it. I'm like, yeah, you my dad was relax? a DJ, like in the eighties. Like I know dance music. Like this is right. what I grew up, like grew up with, you know? And, and, um, yeah, like you, you get those kind of people who are just sort of like, it's cute of you that you think that you can do that. Um, and so that was one of the most difficult things for me, and and having people sort of see that I was blogging. And my blog wasn't really like, it wasn't a music blog. And I said that it wanted to be sort of like a magazine, but it became much more personal than that. Um, and uh, uh, having people sort of see that and, and be like, oh, well, you can do this sort of. Off the cuff, you know, blog thing when something comes to you, but can you actually sort of write a, a feature like that? Um, I think that was the 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 biggest thing, and maybe the second biggest was trying to establish myself in publications that are not here by not being there. And, and people sort of, every. I have a lot of friends who have like moved to other cities and they were sort of like, you know, well, I have to move to the city in order to break through to like those publications. And I was sort of like, no, I don't think so. And so um, that, was, that was sort of difficult, but I figured out a way to do it before they did, and, and so they're not, like, in the same position that I am, where they're not, like, writing for these kind of places.
0: And I think it's really interesting because, you know, Chicago, I think it's become very fashionable in the last couple of years to leave Chicago for L.A., for Brooklyn, you know. And there's a great Harold Ramos quote that I'm not going to get right, but it's about basically, like, you can have a really fulfilling artistic life in Chicago. I know that. You guys know that. And, like, the rent is better. I mean, there's all these advantages to being here, but absolutely, like, I think we're at a point now where you can... You can operate on a national or a global scale, you know, writing for like The Guardian or Enemy, but still be based in the city that you want to be in. Um, Lenny, what about you? What were some of the obstacles starting out and how were you able to kind of overcome those? Oh, man.
2: Um, I started off so gradually that like everything, you know, a lot of the problems I've had are getting people to, uh, you know, respect the artistic voice that I had and that they were hiring me for initially I I find a lot of times with like clients that you know they get attracted to you because your style and they're like that work was great now I want you to do this for me and even though they hired you because they like what you did they're like very inflexible and like letting you adapt your style to them they're just they just want to tell you what to do and like you know, if if somebody's that clear on what they want, they should just do it themselves. Honestly, um, I it, it's frustrating. You know, because uh, so like kind of gaining enough credibility where I could be like, you know, that's great. You know, let's meet halfway and here's what I'll bring to the table and let's work on this together. Um, that was always re- that was really difficult for me when I was younger. It's hard being like you know a 17-year-old and being like, no, let's do it this way. My voice was, like, way (laughs) higher.
0: You were Jimmy Olsen? I was Jimmy Olsen. Yeah. Um, You know, rejection is something that we've talked about in this class, and I think that's something that a lot of people are inherently... I mean, we're all kind of afraid of rejection in various levels, you know, and, and that's a big part of being a freelancer is you have to put yourself out there and not just photography, not just writing for everybody in this class. You have to put your work out there, and people might reject it. They might tell you no. They might make you feel like your work's not worth anything. That's really hard like how do you how were you guys able to move past any rejection you guys might have had or maybe you didn't have any rejection and people loved you guys right off the bat
1: well I'm always getting rejections because as a freelance writer that's that's literally the the nature of the job and sometimes there's certain publications like I've never written for them before so if I get rejected by them I'm sort of just like oh, okay well, whatever um, there's other places though that you get really you you feel like, okay, I had the perfect pitch. Like, this is going to be an amazing story. And there's this one place, um, and uh, I submitted the pitch, and they rejected it in, like, two minutes. I mean, it was, oh. I literally, I, I turned to, like, get some more tea, and I was back, and they were like, nope. And I was like, you couldn't even, like, give me a day to just sort of, like, let it, you know. It was so just immediate. It's like they kind of even just were like, I don't know who this person is, so, so no. Um, so that's kind of that's kind of hard. I mean, you just sort of... It becomes easier the longer you do it, but the fact of the matter is that you're always going to have it, and you know you never know how you're going to react to what type of rejection or what type of like criticism you're going to get. I mean, I tweeted like two weeks ago. Um, I was going through some rounds of edits with uh, two of my editors, and. They hadn't gotten back to me in a couple of weeks, and then they both got back to me like within like five minutes of each other, and they were like, "I need you to like rewrite this, and like this was so and so, and I don't know." I was just in a really emotional state. I was like eating pizza and like crying. I was like, "No, I'm a terrible writer. No one likes me." And just everyone's like, "Are you okay?" And then I was like, "Yeah, it's just you know, it was it was like two like three thousand word pieces, you know, so that was kind of hard to deal with that kind of um uh. You know rejection but you you get used to it and it's just like the nature um of the job and anything I publish I know for a fact that people are not gonna like it especially if you're talking about music or like culture art um anything that has to do with pop culture anything like that people will call you out typically I get like tweets at me um you know it's just like you dumpy, who the hell are you... Th- you know, just, like, going off, and it's like, okay, dismiss, like, you know...
0: It's always people who have never made anything themselves. Yeah. They just want to take down the people who are making it, because they're not doing a good enough job.
1: Yeah, and they and they Or they, they just or they're like super fans and they like i wrote something that was a little critical just a little critical of Rihanna um and and the, the Navy started they started attacking me on twitter so i was just <laughs> i was just dismissing left and right i was like oh my god i was like no I'm like block 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 it wasn't even that critical i just said she steals people's styles but whatever um but it, she does it, it was for Vice, so there was a, a huge audience for that so um but uh you just kind of have to like you never know which piece is going to make People upset, and which one is not? So, I I I would be lying if I said that I'm like it's no big thing. I still get, as I said two weeks ago, like crying. So you just sort of have to get used to it.
2: Yeah, it's rejection's really hard, especially when you're doing something creative because you feel like you're putting a chunk of yourself out there, and it feels very personal when people reject you. You know, I've dealt with some rejection. You know, the more I feel like the more you try to push your career forward, the more rejection you're gonna take. And uh, I've, I've been trying to like learn from it and like understand like where that rejection's coming from. So when I take another go at it, I can kind of circumvent it. Because usually it's not that. Usually I feel like it's not really the idea or the concept that's getting rejected. It's like the way I went about talking to that person about it. Everyone needs like a different, you know, uh, way to be talked to about ideas. I don't know, it's really hard. I usually, um, I try to have a lot of things going on at once so that if, like, as nine out of the ten things kind of fall through or whatever, I have that other thing I can kind of keep turning my attention to. I think that's why those long-term projects are good because, you know, if all these little projects you're pitching, like, fall through, then you still have that bigger project that you're building towards and, like, that'll come out of, you know, left field to kind of help you feel better and get your audience excited again if you haven't gotten those freelance assignments you've been pining for yeah
0: i think that's a really good point is that like you know if you if you spend all of your time working on like this one great idea it might get rejected or it might get delayed or the person you're going to work on it with might like suddenly get busy and then you're like oh my gosh i have nothing going on I, i i operate the same way i always try to have like multiple things kind of cooking so that if one is about to take off like great and then if it's not hopefully one of the other things can kind of come to light You know, part of this class, self-management and freelancing, self-management, it's really hard, especially if you're working for yourself, if you're your own boss, or even if you're kind of working for other people, but you're still in charge of, like, maintaining and navigating your own work. How do you guys stay on task, stay focused, stay motivated and creative? I mean, motivated is a huge part. How do you get yourself to do all this work when you're kind of answering to yourself first and foremost?
1: well i have to i usually have to take like a a week or two where i don't do anything or else i get completely burnt out and i and i learned that the hard way last winter i um back then i i had a, a day job um and i was also so I had a full-time day job. And then I also had another full-time job at WBEZ, where I was blogging for them three times a week. And then I was a radio correspondent for them um, a couple days a week in the mornings. So I would get to the studio at 7 um, or earlier, WBEZ studio. Um, I would work there. I would do radio things there. I would uh, worked on a podcast there. And then I would go into my other day job at Groupon, where I was like the head of a department. And uh, I would work there from like 10:30 to like 7:30, eight o'clock at night. Um, and then I would come home, I would go to events for story coverage. I would transcribe interviews. I uh, uh, would like get into bad arguments with my then boyfriend. It was just it was bad. I didn't know how to balance anything and um, it was too much and I got really burnt out. I got extremely sick. Um, just like, and I didn't write anything then, from like January up into maybe like early like March or April of this year. I just couldn't. My brain just wasn't functioning. It just, you know. And so I've kind of had to learn in terms of keeping a good work schedule and balance for myself as like a full-time freelancer now. That I need to take time off and that I need to say no, um, which I didn't know how to do uh, before. I mean, I was there was one point there was one week where i uh ended up in the hospital because i had a severe allergic reaction um and then i got released from the hospital and then three hours later i had to go to meet the like dj and producer ryan hemsworth for a magazine feature for the fader um and so i was still weak and tired and my face was still bloated and my neck was still um swollen and i had to meet him and basically it was like a night with ryan hemsworth so i just hung out with him from like three o'clock in the afternoon until like 3 a.m. And then I came home, slept for like 15 hours and just, it was bad. It was like, no, like nothing like that ever again, you know, just <laughs> right. like, no. Um, and so, yeah, learning how to, learning how to balance, learning how to say no, taking time off and um, actually like being like, can you actually do this? Or is this just something that, that you just think you should be doing?
2: Yeah, uh, I agree with everything you said Brent. Um I I've definitely gone through that where I relatively recently where I got sick from just like taking on everything and then you hit a wall and you're way past burnt out before you even realize it cuz you're just like so motivated to you know be successful and then then you know your legs are swept out from underneath you. You know saying no to things is a hard trick to learn. I uh I feel like saying yes to a lot of things made me like successful for a long time. And then you reach this point where everybody's asking you to do things and you want to say yes to everything because like, oh, this is all very interesting. But then it just all becomes too much. And you're not, if you would, if you just kind of are a more, little more selective, you can do a great job rather than a good job on these things. And that's a really hard lesson to learn. And I, I think it's, you know, different for everyone, I think is you're, trying to break in it's good to just say yes to as much as you can handle because you need the practice when you're young when you're young yeah Yeah. like when i was in college i was just saying yes to everything you know i was working at the college newspaper i was you know working for the magazine i was freelancing and i was doing yada 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 and working on personal projects and that was great because it just you know i was a little younger and a little worse at what i do but all that's good so i i don't know yeah it's hard to find a when to say no yeah no
0: absolutely i mean i've i've been there as well where i've just been doing you know Brit, you mentioned like doing like seven internships in college that was my high school into college experience and after a while i was just like i was doing like three internships at once and my senior year of high school and just being like what else do we like bring it on you know like kind of <laughs> like when you see the guy in the movie where he's just like so beat and he's just like what else you got that was kind of me for a minute we're gonna do like two more questions and we'll open it up to the class here to ask some questions uh you know, freelancing, especially in arts media, especially in a big city like Chicago, where there's so much music, there's so much culture, and even just nationally and internationally, there's so much competition in the freelancing professions. Uh, How do you guys stand out, you know, there's so many great music writers in Chicago, there's so many great music writers in general, there's so many great photographers in Chicago and in general, how do you make your work stand out against everybody else when everyone is competing for assignments like these?
2: You do something different to stand out. I mean, the the hard part for me, at least, is doing something different but maintaining the style you've developed, so you don't, you know, uh, hurt your brand. I guess. I don't know. What do you think, Britt? Brett?
1: I, I I would agree in terms of, like, music, well, I started off, I got a lot of my, I feel like I got a lot of my writing practice from doing, like, dance writing, um, and visual arts coverage, since there's not a lot of writers who do that, um, and it was easy for me to be, like, I can write about dance, I was a dancer, and, uh, so that helped me sort of become a better writer, but, like, with things like music, I had to, you know, everyone's talking about the same, like, indie rock band, they're talking about the same, like, rappers you know the same pop culture people and i was sort of like i want to write about this you know producer who's like 22 and in berlin and they're like okay like why would you don't even you don't live there why you know so you i had i kind of had to be like i'm going to write about these specific people and then also sort of develop you know i developed a writing style not intentionally but developed a writing style that was less um that was not like what was happening at the time. So when I was sort of interning and in college and then right out of college, what was really popular was this sort of super referential, uh, like hyper articulate, metaphorical, like pitchfork style of writing. I say this as someone who still writes for pitchfork. Um, (laughs) and, uh, and I was sort of like, I don't like that. I can't do it. I don't, you know, I don't want to do that. Um, and, uh, And so I started writing more about, like, music and the arts from a, like, a cultural perspective, from the sort of um, rhetoric background that I had in school and philosophical background. And at first, people were like, why would I care what, you know, how do you, why would I care how you write about music from a philosophical standpoint as a 21-year-old? But then eventually, that sort of became in style, and now all you have are like these long think pieces about like Nicki Minaj and like, what does it mean that she did this? And, and, you know, I sort of became then this person where people were like, well, you know, Brit's really good at it. She's been doing it since she was like 21 years old and in college and now she's 27. And yeah, that was kind of my way of, of standing out. And, and so then I could, you know, could stand out, um, it, nationally and internationally and um people would know to go to me and not just be like you know and 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 that was especially important as someone who's in chicago and who's not in like new york or in london
0: well you figured out your value and your style early on and you stuck with it you weren't following the trends and then eventually the trends caught up to you and you were already great at being you um versus you're right there's there's so many music writers who have the same voice that's it's all the same thing and you know what i was showing the class when we started uh we were looking at lenny's portfolio and a lenny gilmore photo they all look different but they all have a a visual continuity they all have a distinct voice there's a lot of like i keep using the word collage i don't even know if that's accurate i'm not a photography person but there's all of these disparate elements or kind of like kind of um, cross media elements that feel incorporated to your work Brit Julius, like if somebody's going to be writing about Chicago house music from the 80s, if somebody's writing about, yeah, a new producer from Berlin, you're the person that comes up in my head. You know, I expect to read that from you in like a vice or a guardian or something like that. You know, people know what to expect, not in a way that it's like predictable. People know what your style and your strength and your voice is. And that's really valuable in this marketplace. Uh, Final question before we open it up to students. Um, Since we have students here, since we're going to Ideally, put this out to a lot of Columbia students, even not in this class. What advice do you wish you had been given when you started out as a young freelancer, a young creative, you know, somebody entering media or looking to enter media?
2: Watch out for Brit Julius. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Um,
1: Yes. No. I like, I'll cut you. (laughs) Um, Don't assume that there is like a right path. In terms of doing things i thought that i had to you know i was uh 2021 my senior year of college i uh was interning at the chicago tribune um for their sunday mag sunday magazine and then i came in one day and Everyone who worked for the Sunday magazine, except for one person, got laid off, um, and I had no idea. I was just sort of sitting at my desk, like, is everyone in a meeting? I don't know. <laughs> like, and I had this assumption that I was going to get like hired as this like assistant, and it was going to be perfect after college and just smooth sailing, and and uh, and then a, um, a woman came up to me and she's like, "Sweetie, this is what happened." Like, and I was like, "Okay, so that sort of traditional route is just not gonna not gonna happen for me." Um, so I think like. Yeah, like, like, I wish I had known earlier, even earlier than that, because still, even after that experience, I still thought, like, you know, got to go to New York, got to like write for these places, got to make sure that I'm like up on like every single like pop culture thing, because that's what everyone else is doing. Uh, That's not my path. That's not what worked for me. And that's okay.
0: Yeah, you stand out. And it's a strength that you have, again, like your own distinct voice. Versus being, I mean, you know, we uh, we read it and it's like there's so many interchangeable voices out there. Absolutely. Uh, Lenny, what about you? What do you wish that someone had told you early on,
2: you know, in your career in media and freelancing? Yeah, I, same with Britt. You know, I, I felt like I saw a path that I was supposed to take. And, you know, being in the journalism industry that's gone through so much already, it's uh, quickly became apparent that, you know, there's no, I couldn't... Expect anything to work out anyway. So I, I wish somebody had told me that. Look at the opportunities in front of you and take advantage of them, rather than, you know, dreaming about opportunities you wish you had. Um, I find myself a lot with people like, no, you have all these opportunities. Like, take advantage of those and then so see where those lead. Don't you know? Just people become too obsessed with the their kind of ideal situation and for years they're just obsessed with that and they don't take you know a step forward because all they can think about is where they wish they were the you know the the movie they watched that showed you know the almost famous route to uh being a journalist and i think everybody has to walk their own path everybody has their own strengths know your strengths look for one thing brit brought up uh earlier was that she had this influence from outside kind of the scene she was talking about and she was able to incorporate that to make herself unique. And um often find that the best stuff I make is when I'm able to kind of make those connections, like, oh, I can take this uh, piece of art I know about from the 18th century and kind of apply that influence here. And that's gonna be totally unexpected and people will see that as kind of unique and as of like, that's Lenny's, uh, print on that thing. Yeah.
0: This was awesome. I really enormously appreciate you guys taking some time to be here and run through, you know, your thoughts about your experiences and, and share your insights. I want to open it up to the class we have here. If you guys have questions, um, like we mentioned before, you can either come up here to the front and use our fourth mic to verbalize your question or if you don't want to be on the recording, you can raise your hand, and I will repeat your question into the mics. So we have it, um, but you know, feel free to like either come up or raise your hand. Let's get some questions for Brit and Lenny while they're here, and you know, give us your name on the mic so we know who we're talking to. I mean, I know, but is everyone listening, and they know? Just like, this.
3: Just right.
0: like that. <laughs> okay. Look at you, you're um. a rock star. <laughs>
3: um, my name is Um And my kind of question is like, how how important is it to like have a support system, not only like professionally, but like personally? Because I know like when I get really busy, like my personal life kind of and like spending time with my friends kind of goes down and that makes me feel like crap. But like, how important is it to like balance that out? That's
2: Uh, a really good question. (laughs) I mean, it's a it's essential. Um, I think something to keep in mind is, um, you know, it's good to have you know, people in your industry as your peers supporting you. But sometimes that's sometimes that's really hard because you're all competing for similar jobs and stuff. Um, So I want to take it too personally. If after you get out of school, you know, you guys kind of each break up a little bit, you know, but it's good not to let it become too personal and still support those people, but realize that they need to find their path. And it's going to it's going to be a little difficult for everybody. Um, So I, I think it's good to, you know, look, you know, keep those friends that you have supporting you and support them back, but then look for people that are kind of in associated fields that you guys can kind of, um, find common ground with, but aren't walking too similar of a path to you.
1: I feel like I kept my sanity by having friends who were outside of the writing world. Um, my best friend, we've been best friends since I was 10. She is like, in like finance and management, you know, and, and so I talked to her, I'm like, oh, I'm going to this thing. And she's like, that sounds so cool. You're so awesome. You know, compared to like some of my writing friends, like one of my best friends, he'll be like, oh, well, I heard the editor of that, you know, for that place didn't like it. He thought it was garbage, but you know, but no, but you know, it's really great. And you start to like get that after a while, like that sort of undermining, like, okay. So it's been really important to, yeah, have, you know, friends and, and relationships that exist outside of the the industry as well because i definitely would not be able to do it if i was just focusing on my work or just focusing on the writing scene itself
0: yeah i the the counterpoint agreeing with what both of you said the counterpoint is it's also a lot of value in even if like your immediate emotional inner support group is not your professional peers there's a lot of value in still being friends and and professional with your peers you know on, the, on this podcast I've been really fortunate to have so many great media people like Lenny and Britt um, and, and so many other people in Chicago and out of Chicago who have taken their time to be on and it's always awesome it's really great to have other professionals who I look up to take time be part of it and check in with them and you see them in events like South by Southwest or Lollapalooza for us and you're like oh cool like I know I'm going to see like kind of all my summer camp buddies down in Austin you know it's like there's your friends who like are awesome to be with, and then when you go to like an industry event or you're in the field, you can kind of like you know I'll see Lenny and I'll just be like oh man this third day of Lala man I'm feeling it and he gets that he knows what it's like to be working that awesome so and we got another one,
2: throw them out, throw them both out, <laughs> same sound simultaneously so yeah, that yeah
3: okay so um, first uh, this one's for Brittany or and Brit, what's your sorry. name my name is uh, Hugold. Gold um, so you said that. Uh, unless i misheard you you said that you originally intended to um like start a magazine type of uh, editorial um but you ended up making um like more personal approach with like a blog Um, how do you feel like that affected your um your career um do you think that you could have been this successful if you did pursue uh, a magazine
1: in terms of like creating a magazine i i at 21 I definitely would not like would not have been able to do it like I just I didn't have any of the experience or the knowledge or anything like that to be able to do it I actually am creating a magazine now at 27 now that I have contacts now that I know photographers and artists and you know I'm working with um you know great people I know great people for that so um I think that uh if I had sort of set out in in doing that, then I would not be in the place that I am now because I would get frustrated and I would sort of feel like, well, you haven't been able to accomplish this thing. So, you know, you should just give up or, or, you know, you're unsuccessful versus me sort of like learning how to write and how to edit and meeting people within my field. Um, And that sort of helped me to become, to get to sort of the place where I'm at now and, finally create that magazine I wanted to create.
3: Okay, so essentially you, maybe originally you weren't able to um, do the project of your dreams, but this project brought you right back there anyways. Right, absolutely. Really cool. Um, And this one's for both of you, because you both talked about um, how being taken seriously was a major um, challenge for breaking out. What could you say, uh, what would you say is the best way, or that you found personally to be the best way to reduce that, the impact of that challenge. How do you get people to take you seriously?
2: Uh, just keep doing it and make work that you know you feel confident in, and people will see that confidence and see that good work, and it'll get easier.
0: Yeah, I mean, I would add to that. Like when when Britt was talking about how when you started out and you had all these like fully formed, very informed opinions about music and culture, and everyone's like, "Oh, that's adorable." That was exactly what happened with this podcast. You know, I've been doing Dynasty Podcasts now coming up on 10 years this August. And it was the first music podcast in Chicago. And I worked in radio. I worked in traditional radio. And the people I worked with are great. But in general, there was a general attitude towards this project that I had where I was like putting out content on MySpace and on the internet and stuff. And people were like... You work at Q101. Why do you have an adorable pretend radio show on the Internet? Like, you know, like somebody baking with an Easy Bake Oven. Like, oh, you made a cupcake. I'm so proud of you. And it was by doing this for nine and a half years now. And, you know, to me, the, the key to being taken seriously is is taking your own work seriously. And the more you take your work seriously, and not like overly, you don't have to be Kanye West, but, you know, the more you take your work seriously and the longer you do it, the the more people believe in you. It's it's kinda like a fake it till you make it thing. And if you believe in what you're doing, other people will follow suit. So cool. I think we have another question.
3: Hi, my name is Rachel. Um I have a question regarding learning curves. I know you were saying Britt that
1: you need to like make a piece really quickly for your editor. And I know looking at your Tumblr, you've
3: taken a lot of portraits within like minute like 10 seconds or less. And I was just interested to know like regarding like getting used to that speed of like the pace of like making work or just understanding more about how you developed as an artist and like keeping up with getting
1: into the industry. I think for those sort of like super quick pieces, which I'm sort of now getting known for with certain editors. So like, like they'll ask, can you do this? I'm like, you know, I can do it, but it's a matter of whether or not I have time to do it. Um, I kind of had to, I think I think it actually worked really well for me and I actually had to kind of learn how to write in a longer format because I was so used to like blogging, which is so much of like so much a a quick format and you sort of have to be on top of things and you're responding to things at a at a very quick pace. And so um, I still have the I got the assignment that I had today My editor for The Guardian wanted me to write a response to um, a a line that Eminem had in this new promotional um, video for Shady Records where he, you know, references both like the ray rice janae rice incident and lana del rey and you know he's like can you think can you do a response to this and i was like yes So i was like in my head i already had the thesis going and i knew i'm like okay i gotta talk about this gotta talk about that and gotta talk about these three things so you know i I, and i've because i was a blogger for so long i really learned how to and and kind of refined how to do that and and think in that kind of capacity so that was never uh, that much of a learning curve. What was what was a learning curve was writing these like, 4,000, I had a ten thousand word piece that I was working on, and still am working on, um, about a tattoo artist in Oswego, Illinois. Um, and uh, you know that is harder because that requires patience and time and dedication and and attention to detail and learning how to be a really good storyteller for that long. So.
2: Yeah, I feel like with the uh, quick turnaround stuff, um, that stuff is, ends up kind of coming easily after a while. You kind of learn the tricks that work and like what works and what not to do, and how to be flexible in those situations. Um, one thing I noticed when I uh, recently there was another photographer I knew like at a shoot that was shooting like the same person right after me with the you know two or three minute time period like I had and she was telling me, oh, I got this idea I'm going to do, and I knew that, like, she was resting her whole shoot on, like, pulling off this one idea, and I knew that was a bad idea just because when you have that little time, if you're really fixated on one idea, you're kind of putting all your eggs in one basket, and if that doesn't work, then you're shot. So I think it's always good. It's always, you want to go in every situation, at least with photography and I'm sure with A lot of other things with kind of like a few concepts in the back of your head like oh i could do this that or that but then be open to not doing any of those and just kind of like going with your instincts and those instincts will get stronger and like more reliable the more you do it yeah being adaptive is a really
0: key thing i've had so many projects where like you think one thing's going to happen and then like it's five minutes when it's going to start and it's just like nope those six things are gone and you're like oh okay and like you could either just like lose your mind about it or it's like okay let's i guess do the different version of this that we're gonna have um we'll have about 15 more minutes of questions guys so if you have questions like come on up and we'll you know get them get them going did you have another one
3: (laughs) (laughs) all right Eli, ahu again um sorry this is now my podcast Uh, okay so um speaking on being adaptive um do you find that you have assignments? Um, I don't know if this will be as applicable to you because I don't know all of your work. Um, but do you find that if you get an assignment that you have to for, a form an opinion now that you have to make it now that you're you have a job to do, or b um, in addition, do you sometimes not really have an opinion so you just kind of talk about it?
1: Um, I would never take an assignment, especially when it comes to the sort of like of the sort of response articles that I might do, I would never take it without having a clear point of view. Because if I'm just talking about it, the editor will know and he'll be like, what is this? You know, she'll be like, this is terrible. It, it shows because then you're just sort of rambling and no one wants to read a piece that's just rambling so i I would never accept it if it didn't if I didn't have a, an idea of what I wanted to say and if i wasn't even if it was just a very very short you know just like one sentence if I can't get that one sentence thesis, you know maybe I'll accept it and and think on it but for me, I've sort of gotten into that headspace by being a freelancer where I kind of have to know what my skills are and how I can work with time and what's going to um be the most successful and I'm not gonna be successful with my time or my skills if I just sort of like jump in and sort of like hope something comes out.
0: (laughs) Uh, Let's do one or two more questions. Um, Okay, Okay. all right. So I saw Daniel in the back, we'll get you after.
3: Hi, I'm Chloe. Um, My question is once you get like a lot of um, opportunities how do you actually go about saying no, and then once you do say no, do you ever feel like, oh, my God, I just missed out on something?
2: I definitely feel like, I've you know, I, yeah, maybe there is a little bit of missing out on something, but generally the assignments I'm being pitched, if I don't take them on, they just don't happen. So, I don't know. I usually have enough going on where I don't feel that, like, hint, you know, that little bit of re- much regret at all. I'm just like relieved the next day I'm relieved because I'm like oh I would be busy doing that but instead I can turn my attention to what I really want to do which is this thing um one or two more guys Madison who's a young business owner oh
1: wow that made me sound so important Uh, (laughs) (laughs) so my question is um because both of you kind of work with things you love like you work a lot with music have you ever felt like it's made you um love it less because it's become such a large part of your work life Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> I, uh, I, I I will definitely go through periods where, um, and this happened pretty recently, where I will only want to listen to one thing and so recently that one thing that i this this one thing i was like listening to was like the um this one like sade album from like 1984 and everything i was just like i don't care about new music like leave me alone um and uh, and so i feel like i'll often i'll oftentimes go through periods like that where especially if you're you will sometimes feel like at least with writing um and the media and being online that you're sort of working in this, you're churning churning out material and working in this sort of like factory mindset. And so it becomes less about music and your thoughts on music and the artists themselves and more about creating this product. And that will usually then make me really sort of resentful. and so I think the thing that is though that has always gotten me back into sort of loving it and and writing about it is just sort of experiencing it without any of those sort of requirements. When I was at, when I was at Pitch, you know, really working at Pitchfork frequently, I was like a their tracks reviewer, and I would listen to like 60, 70 songs a day, and I would sometimes just listen to like 15 seconds of it, and then I'd be like, no, you know, and it just made me really sort of like everything just sucked because I was so used to like (laughs) listening to 15 seconds of something. Um, and you know, I I was like, I don't like music anymore. I haven't like really listened to like an album in in forever. And so I was like, let me just, you know, start going to shows again and taking time with albums and like listening to music for myself. So I eventually like I left Pitchfork and I was just sort of exclusively doing writing that was more sort of cultural based and, and things like that. And I fell in love with music again and i you know it became a, a more much more positive sort of relationship but it definitely happens in waves for sure
0: we'll do one more if we got one more question all right come on up
2: uh hi everybody uh my name is will um and uh this re- i luckily got like the last slot so that way i can tie this back into his last question i'm as about uh, the advice that you wanted but you never got, so you kind of gave it to yourself. And for both of you, it was kind of along the lines of don't think that there is a right way to do things, keep your options open. Uh, before my question, I have a statement. Uh, thank you for saying that. I already feel like less of a failure. So
0: This is already worthwhile. Awesome.
2: So I, I've been mulling this question over my head, and I still can't think of a right way to say it, but I'm going to take a shot at it, so let's go. Do you think that... If there isn't a right way, there can be a distinctly wrong way if somebody is still determined and patient, or are there just some ways that can never work? That's a hard question to ask. I mean, you don't really know if something's not going to work until you try it. Um, I think that's why, I, at least personally, I'm always trying to walk a, you know, more than one path at a time. So, you know, time will tell if it's not going to work out.
1: Yeah, I, I, I don't think I could ever say like one way or one path is completely wrong because it, it clearly works for some people, right? And and so I have you know, I have friends who moved to New York and within a year they became an editor at, you know, at Noisy. And then I have friends who moved to New York who are still really struggling. And um, you just you just never know what's gonna what's right and what's gonna make the most amount of you know sense. So um, I would never like outright reject a path and say that it's completely wrong. Um, I think it's just important to know yourself and know what works for you and and recognize like you know that's great, but I don't think I can do that, and it's okay, and maybe I'll do it this other way, and I'll develop what I'm doing and what I want to do in this other sort of path.
0: Yeah, and I think it's important, too, especially, like, when you're younger, like, the age that all of you guys are, you're all college age, and you're, like, teens or 20s or, you know, this is the time where you have so much freedom to try different paths. And that doesn't go away. It's not, like, at, like, age 26, people are like, nope, you can't try anything new anymore. But especially right now, this is the time that you guys get to, like try different things and see what works and see what doesn't. And finding out what doesn't work to me is just as important as finding out what works. So don't be, you know, to anyone listening or in here, like don't be afraid to try multiple different paths and, and you know, follow your whims and follow your whimsies and follow your passions.
2: And, you know, walk walk the path that you're motivated to walk at the end of the day, you know? I mean, if, if you feel excited about it, then the odds are way more with you and you'll feel more motivated to jump Those so many fucking hurdles that are going to be put in your way. Like it's going to be really tough for probably nearly everyone here. And you know, when those hurdles you got to just be ready to pivot and like do things that you might not have ever expected you have to do to make those dreams happen, you know, or those desires happen. But if you really, if that's what you really want and you're motivated to do it, do it. And if you start feeling really burnt out, it's time to like switch something up and, have a taste of something else.
0: I think that's a good way to to close it down. Britt Julius, Lenny Gilmore, just awesome discussion today. Thank you guys so much for being here. I cannot, like, appreciate, or, um, I can't speak, first of all, (laughs) but I cannot voice my appreciation enough for you guys taking the time to be here today. Uh, Let's give it up for them. This was awesome. This was really great. I really, like, genuinely appreciate it. Uh, Frank Sullivan here, who is visiting from the Art Institute, who is producing and recording the interview. That is awesome. Let's give it up for him. Frank! And to you guys, all of you, thank you for asking great questions in this class. Um, To anyone listening, Dynasty podcast recorded here at Chicago's Columbia College in the self-management and freelancing class that I teach. My name is Haima Black. Thank you guys for listening, for being here, all that. This has been the Dynasty Podcast pod class series. Thanks to Britt Julius and Lenny Gilmore for being on the show. You can find more Dynasty Podcasts at dynastypodcast.com. For the Dynamic Dynasty, my name is Haima Black, Dynasty Descend.